welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Associate Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Catherine Hardy, Assistant Professor of Law at the California Western School of Law. We will discuss her article in progress, Schrodinger's Corporation, The Paradox of Religious Sincerity in Heterogeneous Corporations. So welcome to the podcast, Kat. Thanks, Brian. It's great to be here. Great. So I was wondering if you could start by by talking about why the religious sincerity of a corporation would be a problem in the first place. Well, so generally, um, if you're looking at corporate law, the sincerity or insincerity of of a corporation is sort of irrelevant. We don't really think in in those terms. But recently, the Supreme Court has granted to corporations the right to request religious exemptions or religious accommodations from uh, neutrally applicable laws. Um, So the probably uh, case that your readers are most familiar with might be uh, the Hobby Lobby case, where a corporation um, wanted a religious exemption under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act that would allow them to not provide their employees contraceptive coverage that was required under the Affordable Care Act. So when a corporation requests a religious exemption, one of the things that the corporation needs to show is that the, well, to back up, when anyone requests an exemption um, from a neutrally applicable law based on their religious beliefs, one of the things that they have to show is that they are religiously sincere in their belief. Um, So if you uh, want to not pay for contraceptives, you have to show that you are religiously, that you you hold a sincere religious belief that providing contraceptive coverage to your employees would infringe on um, on your religious beliefs, that you, that you would find it sinful, that you would find it wrong um, under your religion. And so this question of religious sincerity, uh, when corporations can start to exercise religious rights, then we have to start looking at whether the corporation itself is religiously sincere. So, so how are courts supposed to do that? Maybe you could talk a little bit about how the Supreme Court analyzed the sincerity of Hobby Lobby's professed beliefs. Like, what did they look to? What questions did the court ask to determine whether or not the religious beliefs in question were sincere? Well, so generally, if we look at religious sincerity inquiry in the past, courts generally are um, you could call it have a light touch, perhaps you could call it when it comes to religious sincerity. Um, generally, if a party says, uh, you know, I believe my religion requires me to wear this type of hat or not eat these types of foods or um, pray in this certain way, um, generally the court is not going to look to um, the accuracy of those beliefs. So a court's not going to say, no, it is not true that um, if you don't do this, God will be angry with you. Um, and a court won't even look to the centrality of the beliefs. So the court won't say, no, Lutherans don't believe that you need to do this practice um, or that this is not central to your faith. Um, instead, they just look to the question of sort of veracity. Do you truly believe what you claim to truly believe? Um, in Hobby Lobby, this became a somewhat interesting question because the question really that the court looked to was not, does Hobby Lobby Incorporated, a you know corporation uh, uh, as a separate entity, 
does that corporation have these sincere religious beliefs? I think that the court sort of recognized that that's not a very good question, right? That we don't think of corporations as being sincere or insincere in, in, in a religious sense. And so instead, what the court looked to was whether the shareholders of Hobby Lobby, when they, whether the people who own Hobby Lobby Incorporated, whether they are sincere in their religious beliefs. And in the Hobby Lobby case, there was no question about the shareholders' veracity. The Green family who owns Hobby Lobby, nobody contested that they truly believe that providing this contraceptive coverage um, would violate their uh, religious practice. So in that case, the sincerity question was very simple. We looked through the corporation to the individuals, and the individuals were undoubtedly sincere in their beliefs. Right. So is <clears throat> is part of the issue then that when the Supreme Court analyzed the sincerity of religious belief in Hobby Lobby, it was looking at a closely held corporation or a corporation that was predominantly owned by a small number of people, so it could just look to them and maybe it sounds like this could be a tougher question if you got a publicly held or a corporation that has a larger number of shareholders. Absolutely, and it's not actually even just number of shareholders. The crucial thing in Hobby Lobby and in other places where the court has looked to corporate religious rights is that every single one of the shareholders had the same religious beliefs. So you had complete unanimity in religious sincerity. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't any question that if all five people who own the corporation share the same religious beliefs, then the corporation can be dubbed or we can attribute those beliefs to the corporation. Um, what I point out is, um, and, and what I get to in this article, is that things get a lot more complicated when you have shareholders with different beliefs. Mm -hmm. And you don't even have to go to a large corporation. You could even go fewer shareholders than Hobby Lobby. You could take two shareholders. Shareholder A is sincere in their religious belief that they should not provide contraceptive coverage. Shareholder B is, you know, says, I don't believe that. I don't care. Or maybe I do care and I want to stop this. Um, either one of those options. But shareholder B says, I am not sincerely religious. Well, now you've got a very different question where it's not a question that the courts are used to. Are people telling the truth, right? We can assume that both people are telling the truth, but if both people are telling the truth, then what is this whole? How do we attribute those two separate beliefs to this whole? So, so what do you think courts should do in this kind of situation where you've got, in a sense, almost like an internal corporate governance problem around religious belief, as it were. Well, it's interesting. The, the, what the Supreme Court sort of hinted, at least in the Hobby Lobby decision, that they recognized that this could be a problem, that there might be um, uh, shareholders who disagree about whether the, um, uh, whether the corporation should be sincerely religious or not. And in the Hobby Lobby decision, um, the Supreme Court sort of punted that question to state corporate law and said this is, you know, a question of state corporate governance. So whoever state corporate law says controls the issue will control the issue. Mm. Um, but that's a pretty bad answer if you understand state corporate law. Mm. Um, that question, so essentially if the idea is whoever controls the decision to claim an exemption is the person you look to for sincerity, um, state corporate law 
is based on private contracting, right? The whole point of it is you're allowed to contract for just about anything that you want. Mm -hmm. So if, um, Brian, for example, if you had a corporation um, and you were uh, the you know the 100% shareholder of the corporation and you thought, hey, I think I would like to get a religious exemption that might save me some money, you could bring me in. Let's say I was sincerely religious. I opposed providing... Uh, certain healthcare to my employees, right? You could bring me in. We could make a contract between each other where I get, you know, 1% of the corporation, but I am given the power to decide whether the employees get contraceptive coverage. Under the just the, the sort of general idea that control equals attribution, my religious sincerity would be the only sincerity that the court would look to. That seems problematic. That doesn't seem like that could possibly be uh, the correct answer for how to decide religious attribution because it allows for the monetization of religious sincerity. It allows, you know, sort of it, it, it instructs corporate law to treat religion the way it treats everything else, which I think hurts that idea that religious religion is in some way special. Right. I mean, it seems in, in tension with the idea that people are non-cynical about their religious beliefs and that the religious beliefs in question are entitled to an exemption precisely because they're sincere and not merely a means to save money, as it were. Exactly. I mean, it reduces religious sincerity to this transactional good as opposed to something that, that justifies creating an exemption to the law. Um, and I think it can be, I think it's, you know, interesting that it can be in a situation that's not, um, you know, perhaps even so nakedly transactional. Um, if you think about it the other way around, right? If you are a budding entrepreneur and I am an investor who is sincerely religious in my belief that one of my religious, you know, commands is that I need to go forth and do everything that I can do to stop uh, contraceptives from being used, right? I might think if I'm allowed to monetize religion, my, my religious sincerity, I might come to you and say, look, Brian, I know you're trying to get your business off the ground. I will give you seed money on good terms so long as we agree that however big your business gets, your employees never get contraceptive coverage. In that sense, in a way, I seem significantly more sincere, right? It's my religious beliefs, but I am still able to control a massive amount of the economy, potentially, by this sort of evangelical investing, which I also think is a little problematic. So so how do you think courts could better distinguish the kinds of sincere beliefs that ought to be attributed to particular corporations and recognized and the kinds of, I guess, insincere beliefs or beliefs expressed in the wrong way that that shouldn't be attributed to corporations? I think it's a tough line to draw because I think it really creates this question of, well, what makes sincerity important? Why, you know, what what justifies this religious exemption for a corporation? I think ideal in my ideal world, we would just have only unanimous corporations, right? Only when all the shareholders ha- are religiously sincere. But I think what's more likely is that um, that there will be some allowances for um, uh, corporations that have heterogeneous shareholder uh, religious beliefs. 
And I think that the court should look to more factors than just control. I think the court should consider control, who has control over the decision, and perhaps make it a prerequisite that you have control over this religious decision or that the religiously sincere have control over this decision, but that that not be enough. That we should also look to ownership interest, right? How much financial interest, what percentage of financial interest do the religious shareholders have versus the non-religious shareholders? I think we should also look at the number of shareholders that there are. That's not really a, a metric that's particularly used in corporate law very frequently, but I think this notion of, of corporate sincerity uh, or religious sincerity as a really personal issue creates this idea that we shouldn't be weighing one person's religion as more important than another person's religion simply because they have more money invested, right? Um, so I think those three factors and considering them kind of the relative weight of each of them within um, within a corporate whole, sort of within the, the difference between the religious and the agnostic shareholders within a corporate whole is a good way to start thinking in a little more detail about that question. Do you think there's any reason for courts asking this question in more complicated circumstances to maybe give a little bit more teeth to the inquiry around sincerity? Because it seems like part of the problem you're pointing to is the risk of a kind of cynical misuse of exemptions. And it seems like maybe there could be features of particular claims that might suggest less sincerity than we would attribute to a corporate claim of religious belief in a different context. I mean, I think there are ways that we could consider um, you know, perhaps things like when, if we're talking about control, right, if there's a contract that gives me the right to control the religious sincerity of the corporation, we could perhaps look to um, the, the circumstances behind that contract, right? Does it seem to be motivated more by your desire for a profit exemption or more by my religious sincerity to try to evangelicalize, you know, have my investments do evangelical work on my behalf. Um, I think we run into trouble with that idea that the courts really are supposed to be staying out of this question of, of what constitutes religious sincerity. Um, because there's the, the evangelical investor, right? Um, courts, I, I don't think they are likely to, and I, I don't think they probably should, say, no, evangelical investing is not a, a, a legitimate religious belief, mm. right? If you believe, um, you know, certainly if you believe that you should run the company that you are, you know, running, that, that you should exercise your faith through your business, I don't think it's a particularly large leap if your business is investing that you would exercise your faith through investing. Mm -hmm. There's even um, uh, religious organizations now that w actually work to connect Christian entrepreneurs with Christian funders to try to create businesses that are, you know, as they put it, run according to the gospel. Mm -hmm. um, so, so there's already this idea of religiosity in the investment space. So I don't think it's a, a good idea for for courts to get into the question of of trying to decide whether the sincere person is actually sincere. But what it boils down to is, well, what happens if, you know, we'll go back to A and B. A, you know, you and I want to start a car dealership. 
you know, you, you're going to put in 50%. I'm going to put in 50%. You're, you're an atheist and I'm a devout fundamentalist. There's no reason why we can't go into business together, right? Mm. Like that might be a great business for us to go into, but it, that this question that it raises is not a question. It's, it's not a fraud. It's not a veracity question. Mm. It's a question of, well, what do we do when we have a situation like that mm-hmm. where where half the company is 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 religiously sincere without question right let's get the veracity out of the way no doubt they are they are sincere in wanting to run this business that way but the other half is like eh whatever whatever i don't care yeah. um um it raises a unique question this attribution question i think is something that that the courts really need to take a serious look at I mean, I wonder how much of this problem is a function of our kind of modern theory of the corporation as a shareholder wealth maximization tool, um, because it seems like one heuristic that's kind of a, a relatively simple way of answering the question uh, of sincerity under that metric is that it seems like oftentimes you know, religious beliefs or professed religious beliefs um, come at a cost to the company. I'm thinking of an example like, you know, Chick-fil-A closing on Sundays, right? Right. That's a cost to the business, right? They're not open one day of the week where they would otherwise be generating a profit. And so if the business is taking a loss in order to, um, in order to realize its professed religious belief, then it seems like there's reason to think that maybe that is a good signal that they really mean it, right? And and I and I'm I, and I think of the kind of the the opposite or the, sort of the converse coming up in a nonprofit context. So of course I teach nonprofit law occasionally, um, and and you know the sincerity issue comes up there in relation to to churches, and you know the kind of iconic example is something like the. Church of Scientology, right? right? Where it's it's hard to it's hard not to feel like one of the reasons the court courts were skeptical of the sincerity of the beliefs is that the religious beliefs were calculated to generate more profits for the Church of of Scientology. Right. And and so I wonder if you know if there isn't a sense in which that kind of an underlying heuristic is is already at work. Oh, there absolutely is. Um, and it's interesting, you know, you look in, in both Hobby Lobby and even in Masterpiece Cake Shop, the consenting or the concurring justices in Masterpiece Cake Shop, talked about the various ways that the shareholders um, engaged in these sort of profit-destroying act- religious activities, right? Closing on Sunday is a big one, uh, not selling alcohol, not selling um, Halloween cakes in Masterpiece Cake Shop. Right, so, so this is certainly something that, that the courts look at. Um, but what's interesting is the way that the courts look at it in, say, Hobby Lobby or Masterpiece, is they use it as indicia of the shareholders' sincere, sincere belief that they need to run their corporation in such a way that they, it furthers their religious beliefs. So it actually becomes a, a, a related to, are the shareholders sincere? Um, and, and kind of testing whether those shareholders are sincere. Um, but what I think what you're suggesting, and I think it's possible, is to bounce that sincerity question up and say, is the corporation sincere because the shareholders have allowed it to do these things, right? Um, what's, what's sort of 
problematic or, or perhaps maybe just troubling about that idea is now we're starting to look at whether the corporation itself is sincere. And the, the, the truthfulness of that statement mm. is one that presumes that, you know, a fictional legal entity is capable of religious beliefs mm. and, and religious sincerity in those beliefs. And as of yet, the court has not been willing to say that, right? Mm -hmm. um, whereas the court's perfectly willing in Hobby Lobby, the court says, uh, I think it's the Mennonite church, they say something about the Mennonite church believes, right? Mm -hmm. When we talk about religious organizations, we have no problem saying the Lutheran church sincerely believes X or the Catholic church sincerely believes Y. Whereas we have a, the, the court never managed to get out of its mouth. Mm -hmm. Hobby Lobby Incorporated sincerely believes something. Um, and so that notion that we can use corporate acts to show the corporation as an entity is sincere, I think is a little is a little problematic if the idea is that the corporation is allowed exemptions because of the sincerity of its shareholders. Yeah, and, and, and that's what I was that, that's very much what I was was thinking of insofar as you know we do think of corporations as kind of being you know rational profit maximizers right. that have you know the purpose of doing whatever the shareholders want them to do right basically just a way of making more efficient contracts but like that's actually kind of a relatively novel concept of the corporation in a historical sense right and we still do write a purposes clause into every corporate charter it just doesn't say anything I right mean, but it, but it could right if you wanted it to I mean, do you think that there was, would be any role for kind of writing in kind of quasi-religious sincerity-oriented terms into a purposes clause of a corporation? Or to maybe think about something like, you know, some of these like um, like the, the, the new forms that have come up, like benefit corporations. I mean, I wonder if there could be an analogy to sincere belief with respect to those. Well, and I think benefit corporations are interesting because certainly there's the um, less of a problem, right? If, if, if there's really no problem determining sincerity for nonprofits. In fact, we don't even call it sincerity, right? We call it legitimacy. So there, there's sort of the idea that, that a nonprofit is capable of sort of legitimately furthering these beliefs. Benefit corporations are sort of in the middle, right? Because they have this profit and this social purpose. Um, and honestly, for-profit corporations can put, like you said, they can say the purpose of this corporation is to uh, be, you know, to further the Mennonite faith or whatever, right? Um, in, and, and the court notes uh, Conestega, the other corporation in Hobby Lobby, had a board passed resolution that said um, that this company believes in the uh, the sanctity of the unborn I'm paraphrasing here but something right that that and you know that it will conduct its business with that in mind right um, and uh, the problem with looking to corporate statements of purpose is, nobody has to believe in them for them to be self-executing, right? Mm -hmm. So if the question is sincerity, is mm -hmm. the corporation sincere, you can have a situation where, I mean, you could have a public corporation that put in its charter, you know, we are a religious corporation, we're never going to be open on Sunday, and, uh, and, that could end up being self-executing. You could have an entire board full of atheists who 
you know, who who have to go along with it, right? They have to do that even if they don't believe in it. Um, that's the sort of the nature of that corporate structure. Um, even more likely in a closely held corporation, you have founders that put it into a charter um, and that say, you know, you could even have a, a sort of religious poison pill in your charter that says if you try to take the religion out of this corporation, uh, you know, the corporation will be disbanded and all profits go to religious charities, mm -hmm. right? Or all, all residue go, or residuals go to corporate charities. That's actually something that the, the Hobby Lobby uh, uh, shareholders have, if they sell their shares, those, those, that profit goes to charities. So even if the children don't continue to believe these religious beliefs, if they want to continue profiting from the company, they have to leave this religious structure in place. Mm. And so you can have this, a, a corporate entity that engages in religious practices all on its own. And the question is, well, is that corporate entity religiously sincere if no human being inside of it believes in these religious beliefs? And and to me, the answer to that has to be no, if religious sincerity is going to mean anything. Um, but I think it's an open question. So, so in closing, Kat, I think you propose some really kind of elegant and thoughtful ways of thinking about this problem in a more robust way than the court currently has. But I wonder at the end of the day, do you think the court is asking the right question or should it be looking at this question in a different way? I mean, should it be asking about sincerity at all in a corporate context or should it be looking at this problem from a different angle? I mean, it's, it's hard to say because I think that this question of religious sincerity sort of starts to uncover all of the difficulties that come with claiming or, or granting religious rights to corporations. Um, and I think really the question that the court should be asking is, is this corporation structured and, and operated in such a way that we can just ignore corporate law, that we can just ignore that this corporation exists and just say, this is a family that's operating this business together. And who are we to say that they don't have religious rights just because they wanted to take the corporate form, right? That's, that is what the court keeps saying over and over again when it talks about corporate religion. It just sort of says like, you know, well, they didn't, they, they don't change anything by incorporating. As a corporate law scholar, I find that to be a very problematic statement of corporate law, but it does seem to be what the court is saying. And so, so this sincerity question, I think, really kind of boils down to a question of, you know, is this the appropriate um, type of situation where we can just ignore that the corporation exists? Um, and I think when you start getting to multiple people who don't agree with the same religious principle, you start to realize that when you've got these heterogeneous beliefs, to the extent that it ever makes sense to ignore the corporate form, it doesn't when you have just divergent belief systems within the corporate form. Great. Thank you so much, Kat. Thank you. Cool.
with thee. 